what would Paul think of the internet? Like, man, he'd be on Twitter all the time. <laughs> he would just be constantly <laughs> messaging he, people. He would be and, live constantly. Yes, he would just be like just streaming and just using the full. Oh, can you imagine his blog? It'd be the Joe Rogan. Though. Yeah, <laughs> Joe Rogan. Oh, that's great. Evangelism. That ha- that needs to be a parody. I feel like that's something we need to film. Yeah. I had a I had an idea for a parody podcast. It would only work for like one because it's only funny one time. Where it's uh, Andrew Jackson hosting a podcast. What? And the <laughs> the end of every episode is him uh, challenging his guests to a duel and killing them. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> But he only interviews historical figures. Isn't he the one that lived with like a bullet in his side for? Yeah, he had like a couple of bullets life? from duels. Yeah, his whole life he just lived with this bullet eating away at him inside. Because he was a cheater at dueling. Yeah, he was a cheater. Yeah, he would. No, how do you cheat at just shooting the guy? Yeah, I know. He would wear a big coat, <laughs> like an oversized coat, and then yeah. when he would when they would draw pistols, he would angle his body, but yeah. not the coat, so that yeah. they would aim for the heart, but it wasn't there. Yeah, I thought that's what it would. Yeah, I thought that was kind of the technique was to kind of turn to make yeah. your, like a smaller target. Yeah. Well, apparently, I didn't know this. There was this whole practice of like, if you guys make up before the duel, yeah, you still have to do the duel because you're like, well, we already told everybody we can't look like fools. Oh wait, I, uh, wait. Okay, so I thought that must have the the dueling rules must have changed because when I watched Hamilton, have you heard? Have you seen Hamilton or heard <laughs> I it? Seen, I haven't seen Hamilton. No, yeah, neither one. Hamilton. Well, yeah. So he died in a duel with yeah. Aaron Burr, but he goes through the 10 dual commandments. It's like a whole song. And it's like, <laughs> it, and it's like where you try to make peace first. And then okay. if you can, if you can reconcile first, then that's okay. Or you have your, you have your lieutenants go in, you have your seconds yeah, yeah. go meet face to face. And then if they like can, Greece. yeah, exactly. And uh, if they, if they can hash it out and apologize and, and be like, "All right, you're you're all right, everything's good," then there's no duel. You're fine. Like oh. a duel, a duel is challenged. You challenge someone to a duel, and there's still a to- a chance to like make peace right mm. up. I think even to that time, even while you're at the duel, to to make peace. And then if they don't, then it's like, nope, we're we're doing it. So see, my understanding was that they would other. both show up anyway and just agree not to hit each other. So you just kind of yeah. aim poorly. Well, I think it. I think that was the thing. Was like it was kind of like. If you actually tried to shoot him, it's like, oh man, you're a piece of crap. Like you actually tried to shoot him, and <laughs> you were supposed to like, if you're a man of honor, you're supposed to just kind of fire in the air or just kind of like, I've uh, made my point and kind of shoot in the air or like shoot above their head or something. But and and I, I guess that was a th- it was a deal that Hamilton did that and and Burr just shot him. Burr shot him. No, well you never you don't know because it's like well he might kill me. I yeah, it's fair. So and then you know he's talking about like how he was fiddling with the trigger and put on his glasses and stuff and it's like okay that made me think he might want to kill me like kind of really hit me so yeah (laughs) oh dueling apparently is not completely illegal i don't think yeah it's still legal like in one state right like delaware or something or well somewhere uh, it's still legal texas apparently is a mutual combat state so i don't think you can duel but like if we agree to have a fist fight neither one of us can press charges afterwards Really? Like if we, like if you have a written, a written agreement. Yeah, yeah, like if we're on the same page and we decide we're gonna have a fist fight, you, we can't press charges afterwards Tri- for like trial so. by like, combat. Like you get a notar- <laughs> like you have to get it notarized. Ah, uh, you know I haven't looked into it that deeply. <laughs> but... Notarized? That would be awesome. <laughs> we're we're committed to a duel. Please notarize this. Yeah, Swords it like, gone. You show up like a like a wedding like a wedding license to get. We're gonna fight. <laughs> <Duel notarized. laughs> 
fine. Oh, that'd be great if they did them on the same day. Like, you know, on Valentine's Day when they do all the weddings at one time at the at the courthouse? It's all the fights. Yeah, like <laughs> after that, they cleared them out. They were like, all right, fights. Yeah. Next. <laughs> fights at noon. So there we go. It's <laughs> <laughs> the courthouse. That should be St. Patrick's Day. Where everybody yeah, just, just like, it out. <laughs> settles it, just just settles it with combat. Well, have you seen the, the movie about the, I don't know if this is a politically correct term, the gypsies? Uh, Snatch? No, no, no. It's like Snatch, but real life. Oh, like real life gypsies yeah. yeah like real life gypsies in uh ireland oh, that it's like two families that have had a blood feud for years Oof. and they fight all the time they just challenge each other to fights and it's awesome because they're like you know male drivers but then they spend six months getting ready for a fight they're gonna have like training <laughs> and then they they go to fight and somebody videotapes it like on a camcorder with a vcr wow and the winner gets whatever amount of money they bet and then they bring the tape back to their gypsy like colony and they all watch it and like cheer him on as he's winning the fight <laughs> it's bizarre it's like a hundred years behind us or something yeah <laughs> wow well speaking of ireland right speaking of the yeah. irish and fist Dr- fights jump right into buffoonery. it <laughs> yeah we got saint patrick's day coming up so we'll so today's the 11th and st patrick's on the 17th so we won't do this will be the last one we do before st patrick's so st patrick's day so we thought it'd be a good day, a good idea to uh take a look at St. Patrick. You know, none of us really knew too much about him. We kind of hear stories or we know St. Patrick's Day and Irish and get drunk and whatever. That's pretty much all you need we're, to know. Without, wear green or you're going to get pinched. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, and, and every year I forget to wear green. And But do you get pinched? Like, who actually <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yes, my, my mom pinches me. <laughs> yes. my mom pinch Your me mom's too, a yeah. firecracker, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> Yeah, so we took a look at St. Patrick, and well, I didn't. Julian and Abby took. <laughs> I, I was, I meant to. I was going to, but um, it didn't happen. But yeah, so yeah, what did you guys find out about the good St. Patrick? Well, yeah, he was. Oh, I was ahead, gonna go say he's way more interesting than what I ever thought. Yeah. He was be. Yeah, I was expecting it to be like kind of boring, dull, like St. Patrick, Roman Catholic. Boring how did it get to drunk fest like i didn't know anything about his life but julian i'll let you start because you read the two letters by him yeah so when we were looking at it because we we agreed to talk about saint patrick before we knew anything about saint patrick so we were looking around trying to figure (laughs) stuff out about him and apparently the only actual historical agreed upon account of his life comes from two letters that he wrote i guess one letter it was his confession and his epistle and the confession is like a short autobiography and the epistle was, uh, I don't know if you can call it excommunication because he didn't really have the right to do that. But it was basically a letter he sent out to his his uh, people he was overseeing to tell them not to associate with a certain group of soldiers who had been pillaging villages. So those are the only two things that have any details about his actual life. Everything else, uh, the driving out the snakes, raising the dead, all of that stuff is, is apparently it came up years later, like centuries later. So none of that is verified or provable in any way. But that being said, he actually, that life actually was super interesting. Um, so in the, in the letter, the epistle, he talks about his father was a soldier. So he was a citizen of Rome. And in the letter, you kind of get this vibe that he kind of sees himself like an apostle Paul. Like he mentions that he came from a noble birth, kind of the same way Paul talks about being a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, but casting that off, Patrick kind of treated it the same way. Like I was a citizen, I had this right, but I cast it off so that I could do this duty. But when uh, he was 16, his father's village was raided 
by Irish pirates. Hmm. And they kidnapped him and a bunch of the he said kinsfolk in the in the second epistle. He talks about how it was servants also. So some of his family, some of their servants, all got kidnapped and sold off to slavery. Where was he? Where was he from? He was in Brit- uh, Roman Britain. Yeah, Britain. It's unclear huh. where exactly in England he lived, but somewhere in Roman so, Britain. So St. Patrick is English? Yeah, well, yeah, St. Patrick. Well, he could be Welsh, but he's not Irish. Oh, right. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I was so surprised. So I'm he sure gets that would kidnapped be denied by, by all, the, all the good the Irish, Irish people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how you get challenged to a duel right there. What? <laughs> Flip over the tail. <laughs> they uh, that's where they rip their shirts at the blasphemy. <laughs> that's malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets kidnapped and sold off to an Irish uh, an Irishman, and he becomes a shepherd in his field. And he's that's his job for four years. I think for four yeah. years he was a slave. Six years. Six years. For six years he was a slave for this man watching his his uh, sheep. And he talks about how when he grew up, his father, I guess at some point, had transitioned from soldier to deacon. And his uh, grandfather was a priest, but Patrick had no faith at all. Do we know no what belief. year what what years these were? Like around? Uh, he was born century? in the late three hundreds, oh, and okay. his yeah, and his life took place during the four hundreds. I think he was dead by four sixty. Yep. Uh, 461 yeah so in the in the fifth century was when he was in ireland doing his thing out there so he he gets sold off to this guy and he's living there for six years and during that time he said is when he actually turned to god when he was actually in prayer constantly just for sustenance to get through this life because i mean in his mind this was the rest of his life so he turned to god in the, in this dark time and he, he talks about how he would pray at least 100 times a day he would be up before the sun praying in the woods and that was when he really turned to God. And through all of that, he started to get the hope again that he would be free. So he said that he came to him uh, in a dream, one time saying that his freedom would come and a second time saying that his ship was ready. But he was nowhere near the shore. So one day he just decides to make a break for it and runs and on foot makes it 200 miles to shore. He doesn't say how long it takes, but he makes it 200 miles on foot to get to a boat and gets a ride with some what he calls barbarians so i guess and i mean conceivably the same kind of people that kidnapped him are the ones that he takes a ride with and then spends the next couple of years with them just trying to make his way back to england and he says it's another couple of years before he gets back so conceivably he leaves home at 16 and doesn't get back until he's in his late 20s early 30s yeah i think i think it said that he i think i read somewhere that he studied for like 15 years before he went back to ireland Oh, that's even later. Yeah. So once he gets back, he's, you know, he's welcomed back and he becomes a deacon in his own village. So oh, he's kind I'm of sorry. A... I'm sorry. I was wrong. I thought you were saying before he went back to Ireland. No, You're before he like... even got back. To, yeah. Before I'm he sorry. even got back to England, he was still in the woods, in the wilderness. He talks about times where they wouldn't see anyone for, for weeks at a time. There was no people anywhere they were just traveling through the, the wilderness to get back to England. And when he gets back, his family's like, oh, finally, well, I, what family's left? His parents are dead at this point. Uh, they're like, oh, you're back. Never leave again. Never leave again. And he says that he has a dream that night where a man hands him a letter. And when he opens the letter and he reads it, he hears the voice of the Irish crying out for somebody to come bring them the gospel. So he immediately sets his decision to go back to Ireland and bring them the gospel. He could speak the language. He was familiar with the culture. He figured it was his job to go back and do it. To go back to the people that captured him. Right, to go back to the people that ruined his life. (laughs) It was his job to go back. Yeah. 
so nobody supported him in this apparently at all like everybody was opposed to the idea that you just got back you oh, can't yeah. leave they're savages they're godless how would you go to them and he's like that's yeah. the point that's why we have to go to them mm. and at that point his reputation changed too so he talks about how when he was 16 and younger how he was ignorant uh he was a youth without god and one of his friends turns on him at this point and there had been some issue that they had something patrick had done to him secretly that he didn't know about some sin he had done to him and when he got back he confessed it to him and they had made peace and made up but now that he's a respected man this friend brings it up in public as if they had made no peace and just starts kind of essentially airing their dirty laundry so he's bringing up patrick's sins from patrick says 30 years ago but he's bringing them up and throwing them out into the public square and being like oh this is the this is the pastor this is the deacon this is what he's done this is the kind of man he really is Jeez. to where the whole village is turning on him and he talks about how at that time is when God taught him to care about his life little, but to care about the salvation of others more. So he kind of points to that period in his life when he stopped worrying about his reputation. He stopped worrying about uh, what kind of life he had. And he turned his whole focus to just his ministry and his work. So, you know, through all of that, he talks about how he had no no support, how people were trying to give him gifts to get him to stay. So they were willing to offer him financial support if he didn't go, but he wouldn't take it and ends up going and essentially bring Christianity to Ireland. There's some debate. Some people say there was a Christian presence there before, but uh, the way he writes the letter, it seems like if it was, it was very minimal. Or like more pagan Christian almost. Too. Right. That's and he shows up and really like evangelizes. And he's, he's building relationships with local kings and local chiefs, and he's talking about how he'll get arrested by one chief who will take everything they have and put him in jail, but then he'll be released because another one vouches for him. And how he refuses to take money from anybody. That way he has no cause to be blamed for anyone. At one point in the letter, he says, if I have taken anything from anyone or asked anyone for anything, tell me to my face and I'll pay it back to you. But mm -hmm. there's nothing that anyone can say about me that I have any corruption in any way. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's he's kind of he talks about how he was re reluctant to write his confession because he was worried that it would give away his ignorance that he was uneducated he wasn't a, a very brilliant man he, he had a he was embarrassed of his youth that it took him so long to come to christ you know at like 20 he thought that was so late in life to come to christ and he was so he was embarrassed of that but he wanted to put it out there and i think the last quote was really good the last thing he wrote uh let me pull it up because i sent it to you guys he also used a bunch of words I had to look up because I didn't know what they meant. But he, he has some really good quotes in here that really stand out. While you're, while you're looking for that, I was just going to tell Spencer, um, hey, Spencer, we're glad you're on. We kind of do different themes every week. So I know I see some of your comments coming in. So like last week or the week before we did a debate on Catholicism, kind of did a um, discussion on how we became reformed. So we kind of have a theme going every week. So this week is just on St. Patrick and his life and then the Trinity. So, um, but like we always say, if you have something that you want us to talk about, want us to talk about, feel free to message us so we can get into it. Yeah, for sure. We're always looking for discussion topics. That's how we ended up on St. Patrick's. We didn't know what to talk about and it was coming up. So the, the last little quote that he ends in, it's a very short book. If you got time, it's free online on like Google. If you just type it in, you can find the confession of St. Patrick. And I read it in like an hour. It's not long. But his last little sequence, he says, but entreat those who believe in, believe in and fear God, whoever, whoever deigns examine or receive this document composed by the obviously unlearned sinner Patrick in Ireland, that nobody shall ever ascribe to me ignorance. Uh, nobody shall ever ascribe to my ignorance any trivial thing that I achieve 
or may have expounded that was pleased to God, but accept and truly believe that it would have been the gift of God. This is my confession before I die. So through the whole confession, he's talking about how he has no eloquence, no education, nothing at all. And uh, everything, every good thing that he's had, every grace that he's had is from God, all from God, all of God. Uh, the, the one part in the middle when he talks about his freedom from slavery, when, he's, when he decides to become a, a, a deacon, he says, therefore, indeed, I cannot keep silent nor would it be proper. So many favors and graces has the Lord deigned to bestow on me in the land of my captivity. For after chastisement from God and recognizing him, our way to repay him is to exalt him and confess his wonders before every nation under heaven. So I, I guess he saw his own captivity kind of like the, the, the uh, Jewish captivity, all of them. <laughs> every time he, you know, he saw his captivity as the way that God humbled him and brought him back to himself. So he, in the end, he saw that as a grace just as much as his freedom, which was really interesting. Huh. You say anything about getting drunk and making a fool of yourself. And where does that come in? <laughs> yeah, it really. Yeah, that's what same path. You got a whole day dedicated to it now, where people just. Get it's really so. Of... It's really so random. Like when I was and Julian read like his exact, exact his exact letters, and I just kind of like did some research outside of those. But like the whole fact that it's about a whole drunken fest now kind of surprised me because like what he wrote in the confession that you read, Julian. One thing that really caught my attention was. He wrote, the love of God, and this is after he had already been captured as a slave and was already starting to focus on Christ because it was kind of all he had, which I feel like that's kind of a lot of us. We can relate to that. A lot of us don't look up until it's all that we have. But yeah. um, he said, the love of God and his fear grew in me more and more, as did the faith. And my soul was rose so that in a single day I have said as many as a hundred prayers and in the night nearly the same. I prayed in the woods and in the mountains, even before dawn. I felt no hurt from the snow, ice, or rain. So it's like his whole entire focus was like on God. A hundred prayers in the day, a hundred prayers at night. That's like, I thought, I always thought, I always taught my daughter it was crazy that, I think it was Daniel that prayed three times a day, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, three times a day. Like Daniel prayed three <laughs> times a day. My, Patrick prayed 200 times a day. Like, it's crazy yeah. to me. So it is crazy to me, like the whole but when I was reading, it seemed like it said a lot of the American culture has taken St. Patrick's Day and made it into like more of a party, even the wear green, where he actually started, what, what did I say, Julian? It was blue. blue. It was blue yeah, yeah, he was associated with blue before he was green. So a lot of it has just kind of been changed into a party aspect, maybe maybe even commodity to sell things. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that, but. And when we were talking to you, you were asking about uh, all the miracles and things that are described to him. And he doesn't yeah. mention any of them in his confession. Like his whole period in Ireland where he's actually doing his ministry, he really goes out of his way to not mention any good works that he may have done. He just kind of talks about the fact that he was there doing ministry. And he really, he talks about the Irish people coming to Christ and the change that has in their life more than anything he did. And didn't he mention something about the pigs? Yeah, so <laughs> there was a weird story. So he was when he was with the the barbarians, uh, they had hit shore and they were traveling and they ran out of provisions. And he said it had gotten to the point where some of the men had fainted from lack of food, and they were starting to mock him. And they were like, "Patrick, you're always praying. Your God is so great. Why can't you pray us some food?" 
And Patrick says, if you would submit, believe, and repent, God would provide all things, and you would understand that. And after they have this conversation, they come across a herd of pigs and then kill them all and eat them so they have meat for like a, a while to go. But they misunderstand the whole thing, and they find wild honey and offer it to Patrick as a sacrifice, thinking that he's the reason. And he says that he refused to take it because, you know, obviously, but yeah. Wow. And it was kind of interesting to me too, because we are, I mean, I think big time Christians are like in this constant tor balance and torture of, especially during Christmas, like, is this pagan Easter? Is this pagan? Is this pagan? Like, are we supposed to do pagan things? And I, th I thought it was super interesting that St. Patrick, instead of like, because when he went to Ireland, the people that he was evangelizing to were in like a natural pagan religion, mm -hmm. the sun, the earth, you know, everything was natural, natural pagan deity. So when he went over there, instead of like eliminating that, he took like the fire and made it associated with Easter. So like he took the fire and made them worship a holy God instead of the fake gods and false gods that he was worshiping. And a lot of people I think would say, well, that's pagan. He still shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, he, he Christianized thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians. And that was kind of interesting to me because even though he did use their ways, they were still brought to the Lord. And so, I don't know. I just know coming out of Torah observant, being pagan and pagan things is like really looked down upon. And so it was really interesting to me that that was a means that he was able to almost use that to relate to them to honor the true God. You know what I mean? Instead of coming yeah. in and being like, you're pagan, everything you're using is wrong. He was... <laughs> He took it and kind of made it to where they would understand it, I guess. I don't know. I thought that was yeah. really cool. What, what he did, yeah, because we talked about that a little bit before about like with the bonfire and the sun and, and things and that, how they would use that to, to worship those things to worship those pagan gods. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what it sounds like he did was just redeem these things for mm -hmm. God. And right. That, right. I think we really need to be in a constant practice of, of redeeming these things, re redeeming everything in the world to God for Christ, because there is no, um, you know, I, as I said before, there's no secular music, right? There's just music that is used to glorify man. Like mm -hmm. the notes and the sounds are from God. God made that. And that's, he, that's what he's, that's what he's created that for his worship and for his glory. Mm -hmm. And we misuse these things, but that has nothing to do about music. That's not, there's no, it's the heart and intention behind it. So we have a job to right. redeem these things. And that goes for art and culture and education and government, everything. People use these things that God has, has, has made for us, the law, all these things. And we, we misuse these things to, mm -hmm. to glorify man and worship man, the created thing rather than the creator. And so we have a job to redeem these things. And, and it, that mindset comes from like this dualism idea of like, mm -hmm this coup, this two kingdom uh, theology, which is there's God's kingdom. And then there's Satan's kingdom. And they're like at war with each other for our souls. And they're battling each other and trying to win and who's, who's going to win. And that's not really a biblical depiction. More biblical depiction is that there's only one kingdom and rebels to that kingdom. Right. The, the anarchists, terrorists don't have a kingdom. They're just in rebellion to the only kingdom that exists, which is God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom on earth. So there's only Christ is king. He owns everything. And then there are rebels to that king in that kingdom. And we know how that ends, you know, as far as Christ's lordship and dominion on earth.
And that's how we need to look at it is like, there's nothing wrong with fire. There's nothing wrong with the sun. But when you use these things like the Irish people apparently did to worship pagan false gods or the created thing or themselves or whatever, then that's that's just the heart issue and sin issue of rebels rebelling against the, the king using his things to worship mm. false gods you know and so right. we need to use his things to worship him you know so everything is his he owns everything so yeah that's just it's, a, it's all about redeeming these things redeeming music redeeming culture redeeming art redeeming family redeeming authority law entertainment eating food or whatever mm. you know all these things we need to you need to be redeemed for christ and that's i think a big part of building the kingdom building christ's kingdom on earth the uh the, the two kingdom thing you were talking about too how there's only one kingdom I, I forget which epistle it is and you might know when i mention it but paul talks about how we're part of christ's triumphal procession mm -hmm. but the the language he's using is not triumphal procession as in we're in the triumph with him but rather we're the prisoners brought in the way the romans would when they conquer captives, a new nation, yeah. they bring this. Yeah, they bring the captives with them. That's yeah. how he sees us. We're just the we're the native <laughs> enemy that have been captured and brought in. Yeah, right. We once were his enemies, and yeah, and now we've been made not only just bringing them back as like slaves or workers or something, but as family and like mm. bringing into like the actual house as family members when we were once so, uh, not just outside, but enemies against God being adopted. Quick comment here, Aaron Vaughn yeah. says. So where did the saint come from? that sainted or was he ever he was never canonized he was never yeah, canonized by still. the Roman catholic church as a saint <laughs> it was yeah. kind of he was so venerated in ireland that when they got there they were just like well yeah sure he's a saint yeah they didn't yeah and i read that they didn't have like the canon the canonized like what is the process it? yeah the process the to go through then yeah. too but then again they never did it after that so that's kind of crazy too is everyone thinks he's like a saint but he really, he really Technically, wasn't. he's not a saint. Well, Catholicism yeah. is really good at adopting and folding in the practices of whatever place it shows up at. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, I don't know. <laughs> to be on PC, Catholicism is really good at, like, I, th I think the reason Catholicism is so strong in Latin America is because it's really good at folding in paganism into its own customs. Like whatever area Catholicism lands in, the people slide in real easy because they just fold all of their stuff right into yeah, it. Yeah, like Day of the Dead in right. South America and Mexico and stuff. That's not a Catholic thing. That's not a that was a that was a Aztec Mayan thing. So when the, the Spanish Catholics came in, and it just kind of yeah, like I said, it swallowed that up, and it just became like a cultural Catholic kind of thing, the Day of the Dead and stuff. But that was that was just a south america thing that wasn't a right. catholic thing at the time until until it got to south america <laughs> and they they <laughs> and didn't do it thing. like they didn't do it the way patrick did it where uh one of his quotes in one of his letters where he talks about how the enemies of god walk under the sun that rises because god says to you but it's a sun that's not eternal and will fade away but we walk in the light of the true sun who is eternal and never fades so all of these all of the things that he would find in the native land he would tell them like this is what you understand but this is what it actually is mm, whereas yeah. Catholicism in this sense just kind of folds in and says, yeah, you can have that too. Just clean it up a little bit. So yeah. it's almost like he would probably say like in today's world when people are like, don't put a up a Christmas tree, it's pagan. He would say like, no, let's stop focusing on the pagan, what the pagans did and focus on how like that's part of God's creation. It's all the glory right. to God. You know yeah. what I mean? The pagans can say they claim their things as their own, but in reality it wouldn't be here unless it was a part of God's creation in the first right. place. Yeah. Right. All they can do is pagans are like the government. They can't produce anything. All they can do is misuse it. 
Right. Oh, that's that's really good though, kind of. Uh, yeah. Ernie said, Ernie said, kind of the way Paul used the pagan gods to Mars on Mars Hill. Oh, sorry, it went away. On Mars Hill to teach about the unknown god, and there were a few times I think when Paul used Greek to help, and, and the Greek gods to help, um, you know, preach the gospel to others. Or even when he said, "I became like a Jew," I became like. I mean, he he changed himself to conform to fit into that group of people so he was able to speak the gospel to them which is kind of what i feel like saint patrick did yeah and like you know in the epistles that he writes he does come off very i, I don't know i obviously i don't know because you can't talk to him and we only have those two things but he, he can tell he has like a ad, he modeled himself after the apostle paul in that sense like he saw himself he saw that as the way to do things to live that way and you know he cast off his noble birth to be among the savages yeah he he considered everything he had nothing but only what has come from god he you know he he refused to take any goods from anyone so that nothing could be said about him he was above reproach in that sense mm -hmm. and i was telling abby too it was interesting when you read it what books he was reading like you can tell he's reading the gospels he quotes hosea and in his epistle he he says something that sounds very revelation very book of revelation uh, he mentions new Christians that they had just adorned, they had just put on their white robes and that their foreheads were still fresh with the fragrance of salvation. So he's kind of using that revelation metaphor of the, the multitude in white with the name yeah. of God on their forehead. Hmm. And uh, he, he makes a couple of statements too that count, sound kind of Nicene Creed ish. Like that idea was he was kind of putting forth because he does talk about the Trinity like three times in his letter or in hmm. his confession. And he kind of lays out his understanding of it pretty clear. Yeah. Did he use a three-leaf clover? I found nothing. Like all the paintings would show? Yeah, where he's holding it. It's funny because yeah. the, the the copy that I bought on Amazon, it's literally a stained glass picture of him holding a clover, yeah. but the clover's not yeah. mentioned in any way in the confession at all. <laughs> and so an how, they said, how did they say that he used the clover? So what I looked up and found was the idea of the clover was that the, the, supposedly the way he used it, even though there's no historical, historical basis to say this is true, is that each petal would represent a person in the Godhead, but the whole clover would be God. So you have three parts, but it's one whole. Yeah, partialism. Yeah. That's partialism. Yeah. So what does that mean, partialism? Because some people may be like me and don't understand partialism, modulism. So yeah. let's get into that. <laughs> All right. So yeah, Solomon, you did research on this. Yeah. So I did. I did a more uh, study on the Trinity. So. Uh, yeah, because St. Patrick always has that clover, and that's kind of something that's closely associated with St. Patrick is the, tr is the idea of the Trinity. And, um, and that is that uh, Christians worship a triune God, um, God, one being in three persons, um, and that's uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, so with that, we've developed a uh, – doctrine of the trinity and and that being yeah just the godhead of, of god the triune god three in one so this this is and it's been the launching point for a lot of heresy a lot of false religions uh a lot of just false thinking about about god and, and it is one of the most confusing things about christianity uh of of so like there's three but there's one god god is one but you have three and then you have Jesus praying to God mm. and he sends the Holy Spirit. So who's the Holy? you know, is the Holy Spirit a force or is he like an actual person or like an actual being? 
And yeah, there's a lot of confusion about that. So, um, so I, yeah, I, a while back, I read this book by James White, The Forgotten Trinity. This is a really great, great book. Dr. James White loves the Trinity. And that's, that's a weird thing to say. That's a weird, like, it was, a lot of people understand the Trinity or teach it, but he loves it. And he just has this, this great affection for the Trinity. And um, it teaches really well on it uh, from the Bible, like from Scripture, just pointing to Scripture of how we get the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, like, you know, and, and that's one of the first things, too, that a lot of people say is like, well, the, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. That's true. It's not in Scripture. The actual word Trinity is not in Scripture, but neither is theocratic or the word Bible. So we can have an understanding of things that aren't explicitly said. And we kind of went through this with Sola Scriptura of how, like, you know, where's, where's Sola Scriptura in the Bible? Where's that phrase? Where's that word? It's like, that's not in there. And I'm not claiming that. So we're not claiming that the word Trinity is in the Bible. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's so hard too, because as we've been discussing this, we've, we've wanted to, we want a visual. We want something to see as far as like, I need to understand this. What's an analogy that we can use? And that's what, that's where, that's where it starts. I feel like is, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I think that's where it started. I was like, well, what is it like? What is the Trinity like? What can we, we can get a grasp on this. What is this? Um, yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, it's like the probably most famous, the most popular one is the water one, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have, um, and that one for whoever doesn't know is you can have water in three different forms. Remember I said the word forms. You can have it in liquid, solid, or gas, vapor, right? You can have it as liquid, like running water, solid, ice, or a vapor, like humidity. So, and, and that's what God's like. He's, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, it's the same thing, but in three different forms, right? Well, that's, that's not correct because that's actually the heresy of modalism and which is that God uh, kind of changes forms at certain times that he needs. You know, at one point he's the father and he's the son and then he turns into the Holy Spirit or, you know, then so it's like whatever's needed at the moment for whoever is what he morphs into or changes forms into. And that's, that's the heresy of modalism. So that's, that's not correct because then there's no distinction between them and there ought to be distinctions because you know when, when jesus is praying in the garden who's he praying to he's in he's in the form of jesus at that point he's in the form of the son who's he praying to there's no form of he's not in the form of god at that moment so who's he praying to so there, there just runs into problems as soon as you open the bible <clears throat> so uh yeah so that's that's modalism and it will we'll get into more another one is uh the egg if you've heard of that one or so like you have the shell and the guilty. white and the yolk <laughs> right <laughs> we all are we, we're all guilty like you know you have the shell and the white and the and the yolk and that's three parts but one egg those you know, things make up one egg but it's like three different parts of the egg you know and that's what god is like it's like no because if you look at an eggshell you're not looking at an egg mm. right you're looking at a shell or if you're looking at a yolk you're not looking at an egg so a shell does not contain all the attributes of an egg right the white does not contain all the attributes of an egg and the same for the yolk jesus contains all the attributes of god the holy spirit contains all the attributes of god and god the father contains all the characteristics and aspects of god so when you're looking at one you're looking at all you're looking at god 
Um, that's not the case with these other things as far as like the, the partialism and stuff. And the three leaf clover one too is, is partialism of, you know, you have three, three leaves on a clover and that, that's the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, that's, that's divvying up God into three parts. So mm -hmm. you're saying Jesus is one third God. And the Holy Spirit is one third of God. And that's not correct. That splits them up into different parts. And we should not be doing that because it's not, he's not part of God. He is God. So, and that's, that's what's, it's hard. And, and it's so unique. And that's what, um, it's one of the first things I wanted to show in, in this book that James White points to uh, Isaiah 40, 25, where he says, where God says, to whom then will you liken me? And it's so, it's, mm. we, we kind of crop, you know, pass over that when we're going through Isaiah, but to whom then will you liken me? It's like, there's nothing you can compare me to. Stop trying mm -hmm. To compare me to anything. <laughs> I feel like I've tried so many. I've been like, all right, Julian, so what if you have one rose and it has like three roses coming out? They're all roses. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, no, mm -mm, still doesn't work. Yeah. And it, it is hard because we want so bad to like be able to fit it into this thing that we can understand, but it's not. It's like we can't, it's so, it's the Trinity is something, is, is awesome because it's so unique. There's literally nothing we can rightly uh, compare it to or make an analogy with that, that doesn't get really bad doesn't does slip into heresy real quick so um so yeah i just kind of that I, I loved how how james white points to isaiah 425 to whom then will you liken me mm. and you know there's nothing like me there's no i'm it's me it's just focus on me and 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 that's that's it um one i was going through um uh wayne grudem's uh systematic theology and his chapter on the trinity and uh, he, he has one in there that is pretty good and it's still an analogy. It's still a faint analogy. He calls it, but it's, but it, it was pretty good as far as, uh, it doesn't immediately slip you into to heresy. Um, and it is the idea of, uh, when you think about yourself. Um, so like when I think about someone else, I'm the subject and they're the object of my thoughts, right? I'm the subject and they're, they have my thoughts about that person or that thing and they're the object of my thoughts right my thoughts so but what, what happens when you think about yourself because everybody thinks about themselves right so what is the process of thinking about yourself in that moment i am the subject thinking the thoughts about myself i'm the subject and the object of those thoughts and so i'm the subject my thoughts to a lesser extent are me and i'm the object of my thoughts when i think about myself so we have three distinct things here, but they're all me. They're all about me. So that was the closest that, 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 that I, I read about that, that analogy that we kind of understand of like, you have kind of three things going on here, subject, thought, and then the object. And so it's like, it's still not perfect, but it, it, I think it's really good because that's kind of God's mo is thinking about himself and, and his entire creation mm -hmm. is to reflect glory back to himself you know and all things are created by him for him you know so mm -hmm. it's like okay that's he he's he's writing the whole narrative of, of reality of the universe and it's to reflect his glory to who to himself back to himself so he, he he's god in three persons and you know the second well, you know second um person of the trinity jesus christ is how the universe was created so we we're created by him and for him right 
And then the whole idea of like Jesus bringing people or God bringing people to Jesus and then him securing all that the father has given me. Mm. Right. So it's like from him to him and everything is all back to him. So the idea of thinking your thoughts about yourself, it's kind of a good, a kind of good way to think about it. Still very like up in, you know, <laughs> still not quite there. abstract, yeah. you know, not, not a solid uh, kind of analogy, but it's, but it's, I think pretty close as far as like, me thinking thoughts about myself i'm the subject and the object of those thoughts and it all kind of comes back to me but there's three kind of things going on here so um yeah so that was just a thought as far as like a little slight analogy um is there anything you guys want to add so far as far as like anything i said right now no steven said that he has a favorite analogy so if you have a favorite analogy that you use to explain the trinity yeah in the comments let's hear some yep yeah, because I'm totally guilty. I'm not guilty of the egg. I'm guilty of the air. I'm guilty of all of it. <laughs> I've, I've heard like, of like the I've, pizza. I've been battling y'all. Like, I need a visual, guys. There's not one. I need <laughs> one. Not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, the pizza, there's the dough and like the sauce. I've never heard the pizza. That's and, a good one. And the, and the toppings. <laughs> but it's not none of those things by himself. That's the problem. None of those things by himself are a pizza. Have you seen that, the, the, the problem, Kool-Aid though. Man one online lately? No. The Kool-Aid okay. Man where it's like, the kool-aid the ice and the pitcher (laughs) is he the is he the jar or is he the liquid what is that's where the analogy breaks down what do you think about the triangle oh yeah uh you know father son holy spirit and then uh god in the middle and like with lines that say is yeah to that and then to each other is not around it's the best visualization let's see yeah yeah it's it, like you said, man, it's hard to explain it because there's nothing to relate it to. Yeah. Like there's, there's no good example you can give. And that's why like a lot of, when you run into a lot of cults, they do have that like complete misunderstanding yeah. and think you believe one of those things. Like mm-hmm. the Jehovah's witnesses were like, Oh, well, if Jesus is God, who is he praying to? It's like, well, he's praying to the father. Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not saying he is the father. Yeah. And you have to, you almost have to, you have to learn the Trinity to, t- to explain to them why they're incorrect about the Trinity. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses are a big one because they don't believe they believe that Jesus was the first created yes. being of all things. And if all things are created through him, they only begotten him. is only created. Yeah. And they, they think he was it's the Arianism of like there there once was a time when the sun was not. You know, right. that's kind of the Arian motto. The Arian of, of Arianism is like there's the one, you know, the sun was created. The sun was brought into existence after the father and because it's begotten you know my right. begotten son and so they take that and just kind of run with it and they also think the holy spirit is not a person as well mm. they see the jehovah's witness see the 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 holy spirit as they don't see him as the holy spirit they see him right. as holy spirit and mm. it's like this powerful energy force it's like kind of thing it's like electricity or like water or like mm. a like the force in star wars where it's yeah. just this like that's and exactly they, what it's like. <laughs> exactly what they think. And uh, so it's not like, you know, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's like, mm-hmm. he was empowered by Holy Spirit. Like he was empowered by electricity. You wouldn't say by the electricity. You would just say electricity. That's how they see it. It's like this energy source that is impersonal, not God, but it's just this force. So, yeah. And if there's, if there's any watching, uh, if there's any Hebrew roots or uh, Torah observant people watching or who see this, I saw recently a debate on whether or not God is Trinity, where the Hebrew roots person took the negative. So I don't know if that's like an across the board position or if it's like a here and there position. But yeah, I if, talk, 
I talked to a few of my friends and they said that they feel like it's kind of a oh, myth. Like that. Oh, am I back? Am I back? back yeah. yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, I talked yeah. to a few of my friends that are tour observant and they said they feel like it's kind of a mix. Some some believe in the Trinity, some don't, but it's definitely a mixture of hmm. do's and don'ts. It seems to me everything the tour observant is like you can't nail <laughs> it's like nailing jello to the wall. You can't yeah. get like what do you yeah. believe? And it's gonna be different for every person you talk to. It's true. It seems like everybody kinda inter because it kinda have to. I mean Yeah. I don't know. But um, what do y'all think about like the Trinity being in the Bible? You know, some people are like, absolutely the Trinity is false. Um, nowhere in the Bible does it say Trinity. What do y'all think about that? And uh, I was say, Luis said the Trinity is the foundation of everything. Mm. So, I so right. Like you said, the word Trinity is not anywhere in the Bible, but if you don't have the Trinitarian idea in the scripture, then uh, every apostle is an idolater. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, one of the ways I like to bring it back to Jehovah's Witnesses is often to take them to the Old Testament and then contrast it with the New Testament. Hmm. Um, if you look at what God says about himself, that besides him, there is no other savior. And then every apostle is that writes a letter is calling Jesus savior. Uh, Thomas calls him my Lord and my God. So unless yeah. we have a Trinitarian God, Thomas is an idolater and mm -hmm. Jesus was okay with that idolatry. Yeah. So, I mean, and you have the, the, the big one in Genesis where Abraham is on the mountaintop with Yahweh while there's a Yahweh in heaven and one is calling fire down from the other. Yeah. So you have Yahweh in two places, both described as Yahweh, but not, mm -hmm. you know, so, yeah. you know, there's no, like, there's a, there's a, not an interview. I shouldn't call it that. I don't even know what to call it. Steve Anderson and James White talking about this. And uh, Anderson is like, can you give me a verse about the Trinity? And it's like specifically one verse that lays out this idea. And no, but that's not how we describe anything. Steven Anderson would believe in the Trinity? No, he's KJV only. So he needs the Kama Yohanian yeah. to be able to believe that there's a Trinity in the Bible. Ah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he needs comma. one. Yeah. He needs one verse as opposed to like, well, let's do an actual hermeneutic and let the text speak as a whole text. Yeah, that's a good point. There was one that. Um, there, there's that, so many. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I'll there's so many verses that I feel like are talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in different contexts. I think I have a whole list here. I mean, yeah. Matthew 28, 19, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord, the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit. Matthew yeah. 3, 16 through 17, Jesus being baptized, the Spirit descending, and the Father speaking. Yeah. First Peter 1, 2, the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the spirit and the obedience to Jesus. Like, it seems mm -hmm. like there's a lot of different, um, I don't know, a lot of different verses laying out the well, Trinity, I mean, but not one, saying yeah. the Trinity. One right. good one, one, one big one that, that is often pointed to is um, Matthew uh, 3, 13 through 17, the baptism of Jesus. Mm. So yeah. in chapters 16 and 17, it says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Holy Spirit of God, or the Spirit of God, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. They're, they're all there. This is a scene where, where, where all, the, all three persons of the Trinity are there. You have Jesus being baptized, you have the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, and God the Father saying, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. So you have all three literally working in action together in that right. moment. So 
I mean, and there's a lot of things like that. Yeah, Julian, like you said, John 20, um, where Thomas said, uh, you had here, Tom, or John 20, 28 through 29, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. This is after, you know, of course, the doubting Thomas, he wanted to said, you know, until I put my hands in the holes in his side and his hands, I, I will not believe. He did. And I was like, okay. For some, yeah, for some reason, my glorified body has has scars and the, 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 the holes in my hands and the, and the hole in my side still. Uh, so touch them, and he does. He touches them, and he believes. And he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet be, and, and yet believed. So he's usually whenever someone bows down to an angel mm. or bows down to Paul or Peter, um, they're like, stop. I know you really like me, but this is not, I'm not God. Stop <laughs> worshiping me. They're, they're reprimanded for, for bowing down and worship and saying, no, you worship God. Don't worship me here. He's commended for saying my Lord, right. and my God, and that he believes he's commended for believing and, and, and calling him my Lord and my God. Um, so that's the, I think Jesus, there, there's so, there's a lot for uh, the deity of Jesus. And, and that's where the, really the idea, idea of the Trinity comes from is that we read the Bible and we see, God the Father, there's Elohim's Yahweh in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, uh, really understood by centuries of Jewish people that God, the idea of God, and then Jesus, they're calling Jesus God. You know, he says to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. And they understood this to be saying that he is God. You know, from from when he spoke to Moses saying, I am that I am. He's saying, before Abraham was, I am. They understood that that meant they pick up stones to kill him because exactly they understood he was calling himself God. So, um, and then in Acts, we, we see, uh, I'm going to come back to later, the, the Holy Spirit, because I think the Holy Spirit is one that's really neglected as the yes. of the Holy Spirit. We, we really time. focus on God, the Father and God, the Son, uh, which we should, as far as our Savior, Christ uh, being our Savior, dying on the cross, being sent by the Father and, um, and all that. But, and I think the, the Holy Spirit is, is really neglected um, as far as like, that's God, this is God. This is not just like some uh b team of god whatever is just <laughs> the holy spirit is just as much god uh as as the son and the father and uh so that needs to i, I really want to come back and emphasize that but um in in this uh systematic theology grun talks about talk about kjv and like the comedy ohanium stuff mm. this isn't the common ohanium but he's talking about um oh yeah john one well first john five seven yeah um, he, he says, for there, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. This, he's saying, this, this should not be taken in, in connection as far as like a good uh, analogy of, of saying like, uh, and these three are one. Okay, that, there it is right there. There's your slam dunk. That's what Stephen Anderson is pointing to. The right. commu- this is the Kamiohanium, the John, the Kama and John, because it's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, you know that's the KJV rendering of it, but that's not actually what it said. So he says, the problem with this translation is that it's based on a very small number of unreliable Greek manuscripts, the earliest of which come from the 14th century AD. Uh, it's the 1300s. No modern translation, except the New King James Version, includes the K- this KJV reading, the Kalman but all omit it, as do the vast majority of Greek manuscripts from all major text traditions, including several very reliable manuscripts from the 4th and 5th century. So in the in the three hundreds and the four hundreds, you you don't have this this verse saying this this way, um, and not until the thirteen hundreds do you see it pop up mm-hmm. in the manuscript traditions, uh, and also including quotation by church fathers such as Arrhenius. This is the reliable one in the fourth and fifth century. Uh, you have quotations by 
by church fathers such as Arrhenius, AD 202, Clement of Alexandria, AD 212, Tertullian in, in 220, and the great defender of the Trinity, Athanasius, in uh, AD 373. So history and the more reliable textual manuscripts um, don't have that. What does it say, Julian? The fire, the blood, and the water? The, it doesn't, oh, or the, 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 the actual, what, what the more reliable in the Kamehameha, yeah. because that's, that's what it was. The later translations were seen to say the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost in these three are one. This is acceptable, and, and, I, and I see the KJV. I'm not a KJV only person. I see the KJV as a fine translation, but it's not the only translation. And I would love to do a, pod, a podcast on KJV onlyism, because I know we've kind of run into some of those people uh, on here. So, so the actual the actual reference uh, actual in First John five seven is for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. Yeah, yeah. So there's, and there's that no... was changed to the Father, Son, and the in the in the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Um, which, again, we believe this is true, right? And it's <laughs> the difference between believing something is true and believing it's worded this way in the Bible, right? So you know, we believe like in the Trinity, but we don't need to have it, the word Trinity in the Bible. It doesn't need right. to be worded that way for us to have a doctrine, a biblically sound doctrine of the Trinity. And, and that just goes for this, for First John 5, 7. Well, I mean, Abby mentioned uh, the Great Commission verse when it talks about the, you know, all three in one, the Father, Son, and Spirit. But it's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like it's one name, but three of them. Mm-hmm. So like you're baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and the whole, not in the name of the father, comma, and of the yeah. son, comma, you know, is it, yeah. you know, the Oxford comma. Is that right. like the, <laughs> I'm a, I'm know. a proponent of the Oxford comma. That's what I was uh, in keeping it. Yeah. Keeping it, you know, for a long time, I wasn't. So the Oxford comma is, is um, like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like, if, if we're talking about grammar, I'm going to head out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's important because it's like the comma that comes before an and. So if you're listing things. Right. And, you know, uh, like me, you, and Abby, right? It's like me, comma, you, comma, and Abby. But I could say me, comma, you, and Abby. And that, if you don't put a comma there in front of the and, it could, it could uh, imply a connection between those right. last two things that that isn't there and sometimes you do um so even when i was writing the 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 post for this i was saying saint patrick and the trinity well i didn't want to say like saint patrick came up with the trinity or something but it's like though if you gotta put a comma there it's like we're talking about this and that Mm -hmm. we're not talking about you know you and your brother you know it's like that yeah so sometimes i I heard about a uh i used to not add dogs for common things because like you don't have to so I'm not going to in like this kind of rebellious <laughs> thing. But then I've noticed, Dude, I've noticed things awesome. like this and that. Well, those aren't connected. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll start putting the comma. But <laughs> I heard of someone actually going to court. Over court. the Oxford yeah. comma? Yeah, because they were like, <laughs> they were getting divorced. And there was something about, something they wrote down about like, yeah, the car in the house or something like that. <laughs> you get this, this, and that. And because they didn't separate this and that with a comma, <laughs> They were, were taken together and some dude lost his house or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So commas matter. So as far as the Holy Spirit, I did want to get into that. Um, the personification was, of the Holy Spirit. 
before we get into that, I yes, was just going to read Stephen's. Stephen came back with his analogy. He got done getting chicken. That's really good. <laughs> Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he said, I agree there is no comprehensive analogy, only partial. By the way, if y'all see me looking at my phone, it's because I'm watching the comments on my yeah. phone. Not games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Petrus. <laughs> okay, he says, I agree there is no comprehensive analogy, only partial. I like using the analogy of the mythical figure Cerberus. I don't know if I said that right. I could have butchered it. Three distinct necessary centers of consciousness, all equal to each other, always acting in a united will and purpose, yet one being. And I've never heard of that um, mythical creature. Have you guys? Cerebus? Cerberus. Cerberus. Cerberus? Yeah. Dave Sim? Is it? No, not, 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 uh, the not Cerebus. No, no, no. The, the three headed dog. <laughs> C E R B E R U S. Cerberus, yeah. The little pig. We can talk about Cerebus too. Talk about Cerebus. Was that Dave Sim? Yeah, it was Dave Sim, yeah. Yeah. There was, oh man, it was a funny story about him. I thought it was kind of jerky, but it was kind of funny about counterfeit comics. Super tangent, super rabbit trail. But he's talking about how comics are reprinted so much or whatever and like mm -hmm. there was a so someone came to him with a Cerebus fourth or fifth Cerebus number one edit comic book uh fourth or fifth edition fourth print or whatever mm -hmm. and they're like oh I'm so excited I'm a big fan I got all your works and I got all your first edition whatever and they're like just kind of talking about big fan they were and they throw it down and he looks at it and of course he can immediately tell this is not a first edition and so he writes uh he he signs it. Um, I forget who said Stan Lee or something. And he looks and he's like, the fan was like, "You're not Stan Lee." He's like, "Yeah, and that's not a Cerebus number one." <laughs> so he's like, just it's kind of a I thought it was kind of a jerk move. It was kind of funny. Uh, I've actually used that story in talking about because about counterfeit gospels and how you can mm. if, if you know the original, right. then you can tell a counterfeit and. So you need to really know the gospel. So when a counterfeit comes your way, you can identify it. And another analogy people use for that is like people who study money fraud, they, they know what a real dollar bill looks like and the real right. currency looks like so well that if they just glance and just see a counterfeit one, they know like almost immediately as a counterfeit it's because they yeah. study the real one so much. See, it's called the Jesus juke. I brought it back down brought it back <laughs> all to Jesus. Uh, but yeah, so, and that's why we should know these things. That's why we should study up on these things because well, you know, someone comes at you with the egg. We know, <laughs> hang on. Well, speaking of the exactly Holy Spirit, right. uh, I was talking to Nick from Christ is the Cure. Mm. So if you guys, if you don't know Nick, he podcast Christ is the Cure. It's pretty oh, good right. if you want to listen to it. Uh, I was talking to him about reform doctrine and we were talking about kind of what we think are the, the neglected um, aspects of the gospel in the reform community, the modern reform community. And one of the, one of the ones that he said that it, it struck me is like, Oh, that's true. I haven't thought about that is uh, the Holy spirit. Like the modern reform community does not have a great grasp understanding or like, I don't want to say appreciation, but emphasis on the Holy spirit and the work of the Holy spirit other than I guess sanctification, but it's it's kind of nebulous how it comes. Even up. then, even yeah. then, most don't even acknowledge sanctification. I feel like, I mean, cool. I know that was me. Right. That was. So also, while he's gone, before he gets back, or maybe when he gets back, I don't know. Should we wait? Should we do it now? 
I want to talk about your controversy th this week. Yeah, let's wait. He gets back. Okay. <laughs> so back. Real, real quick, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to address uh, Abby's controversy this week. Is this the controversy of the SpaghettiOs, ham, and Swiss? No, oh, but <laughs> I'm opposed to that also. It's another heresy. That's a different, yeah, that's a whole other thing. The, the I, Council that's, of Carthage that's decided that. Dietary way. heresy. I want to be PO after I see that stuff. <laughs> no, no, the, the controversy of uh, some people apparently thinking that this is a teaching platform and that you're a pastor. Ooh. Yeah. Man, that that, I got hit hard with that this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I've never, I mean. I think that Brianna girl really, uh, Brianna Baldoff, uh really hit the nail on the head of that, of like, she, she mentioned something that is really important to remember. She's saying, uh, hey guys, because everybody's like, okay, well then respect authority of man and, and you know, whatever. There's just like some bull crap. Right. And she was saying, it's specifically the authority of your husband, right? not man. <laughs> That's a huge difference. Right. It's a very big difference. So, so that, was, that was good. Just to clarify, this is not church. This is not, we're not pastors. No, we're not your pastor. pastors. You we're are not teaching. In church. Yeah. We're not right. Abby's husband, so she doesn't have to submit to us in any way. <laughs> I don't have authority over these men. No, <laughs> or, no one here is in submission to anyone in any way. Yeah. <laughs> it's the clearest way we can put that. Yeah. I... Yeah. Yeah, that's a weird thing. They're calling it like, well, you're on Facebook explaining your ideas or, or what you believe and or even like having discussion the gospel like how can a woman share the gospel like you can't <laughs> that's what this is and that's what you know facebook is like a like a pub or something with different tables you can kind of mm -hmm. go and talk to people right. and things it's not yeah. a church it's not like hey everyone listen right. and you I brought up a pub authority. all the church people don't know what you're talking about anymore <laughs> True, you lost him in the analogy <laughs> our church meets at a pub sometimes so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's not yeah this, that's a very weird thing of like you have some sort of teaching church authority over these people and that's wrong and you're preaching a sermon and you're leading men like what this is insane yeah, no, but nobody has a membership to my facebook <laughs> yeah can, can we do that can we have a patreon exclusive uh, <laughs> right <laughs> all right yeah so I was telling Abby while you were gone that I, uh, when I was talking to Nick from Crisis the Cure, yeah. that one of the things that we, I asked him, uh, we got into talking about the modern reform movement and one of the weaknesses or one of the areas where he thinks we're lacking. And I, I was like, young, restless and reformed. Yeah. Well, not so young anymore. It's like 10 years <laughs> on now. We're all in our thirties now. <laughs> um, he was saying that we have a, a very weak understanding of the Holy spirit and kind of emphasis of the Holy spirit too. Yeah. Like the, the, the choosing of the father is like fought tooth and nail for the full redemption of the son is fought tooth and nail for, but the Holy spirit is kind of nebulous and not really emphasized mm -hmm. or talked about too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that James White really uh, hones in on is the Holy spirit of like, and, and how the Trinity, how we are saved by the Trinity. And it's not like I, I, every, all three persons of the, of the triune Godhead play a role in our salvation. Right. And it's, you know god what, what does that what does that look like though like yeah. for those that maybe haven't heard that what does that look like is it all three roles play a part in your salvation so that was one of the really cool sections of this book i'll take a look at it 
Hearts and pledges. Okay. So James White kind of goes through like a, like a scriptural survey of that thing. Um, so he says, uh, the biblical verdict is clear. The three foundational truths we, we present at the beginning of this work are definitely the teachings of scripture. We can now see how richly this truth is found in the very fabric of scripture itself. Take a moment to slowly read through the following passages in the light of what has come before. Consider what they communicate. It says, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 5. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God the Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know, that what kind of man we prove to be among for you for your sake. And that's First Thessalonians 1, 3 through 5. Uh, and then he says, Second Thessalonians 2, 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So it's the Spirit who sanctifies us, right? And uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2 through 5 says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in a persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So he's talking about how the, the, the Spirit is God. And... Um, yeah, so it says, uh, so First Corinthians six eleven. such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And then First Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of, of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And Second Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, says, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge, right? So in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So over and over again, you see in talking about our sanctification, our justification, you see the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit playing a role. And it's, yeah, and that's James White's big thing is like it's it's the whole it's all about the Trinity. It's just all it's always there. It's it's in everything that that how we're saved. Uh, so, Romans fourteen. Uh, before you go on, let's grab this comment real quick because it's very pertinent. Uh, Ernie asks, "How does the Holy Spirit sanctify?" Hey, can I can I yes, please jump in? Yeah. Because okay. Okay, this is totally random. I didn't even know where I was going to pull up this whole notes thing. But when I was coming, like being out of tour observant, one of my first really studies was like the spirit and what it does. And like, I was, I was kind of mind blown, but I have a ton of notes here about like all the things that the spirit does, which I feel like kind Perfect. of, yes. um, kind of answers that question. So like the first one I have is that the spirit bears witness about Jesus. And that one's John's fifteen fifty six. It says, but when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. So that's another thing that people are like, well, I know who Jesus is. Well, if you truly know who Jesus mm. is, it's because the spirit has bared witness about who Jesus is to you. Um, another thing is you can't pray on your own without the spirit because the spirit intercedes Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. 
Um, obviously, the fruit of the spirit, Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the spirit. Um, one that I thought was really interesting is Luke eleven thirteen, and it says the father gives you more and more of the spirit as a gift. Um, the verse is, if you sinful people give good gifts, how much more will the father mm. give you the spirit, which is kind of, mm. kind of interesting to me because I mean, if we're continually giving gifts and that means the father's continually giving more of the spirit to understand more and more. And what did Jesus say? Like, I opened your mind to understand, wasn't that he opened your mind to understand like the. In the, the, the road to Emmaus, yeah, when he unpacks the, the Old Testament. Yeah, I think it's definitely a part of like a whole Trinity effort for the believer to understand the scriptures as well. Um, and I could be wrong about that. That's just kind of where I'm at now. Um, another one is, let's see. Okay, this one is kind of interesting. It said the spirit convicts of sin is why we can't obtain why we can obtain righteousness and is for coming judgment and that's john 16 7 through 11 it says nevertheless this is jesus talking he says nevertheless i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and when he comes talking about the spirit he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Which is kind of interesting, because you almost think, like, there was a distinction from when he walked on earth to when he was gone and sent the Spirit. You know what I, I mean? Know. As opposed to, like, the, they followed Jesus as their righteousness and we are to follow Jesus as well, but he sent the spirit to enable us, to help us to conform to the image of his son, like to help make us righteous because he wasn't going to be with us any longer in person. Yeah. And I'd never really connected that before. Yeah. I have a few more. Um, John 16, 13, it says the spirit is the only reason why we know the truth. When the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Um, the spirit causes you to walk in God's statutes, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. My favorite one is probably when people say like, we choose, we choose, we choose God. We choose God. We choose Jesus. This is a, one of my, probably one of my favorite comparisons ever. Um, and it's so we cannot fathom or understand the things of God without the spirit. And um, in first Corinthians two eleven through 16, it kind of portrays it like this. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Mm. Now, if we received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So when we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. So like, if you think about yourself, like you are the only one who knows your inner thoughts. God's saying the only one who can know my thoughts are those that have my spirit that's revealing these truths to them. So, so Ernie, uh, he just said, a, yeah, <laughs> he said, none of that answers how, and I, I don't understand okay. how none of that answers how. <laughs> okay. It's the, it's the, it's the conviction. It's the conviction right. of saying, I, I, I know this is wrong and being able to say, I, I know why this is wrong. Because mm. that's the difference between we, everyone has a conscience. Everyone has like this. We're, we're created in the image of God. We are born, you know, Romans one, we were born knowing that there is a God in, in, in our unrighteousness, exchange that truth for a lie worship the created thing rather than the creator, uh, Romans two. Uh, so we are born by, you know, by creation, by our very existence. 
we know that there is a God and we have this conscience is um, compelling us. Like people say, like, you know, well, people know right from wrong. People know, it's like, well, that does us no good if we don't know why. And we can, we can reject those things. We can vote against those things and change those things, make what was wrong to be right in our eyes, at least. But we, it's that, it's that conscience is that conviction. And it's, and it's empowered by scripture not to just feel like we know what's what's right and wrong, but know why it's right and wrong and know God's law, have it written on our hearts. And that's the Holy Spirit working inside us of that, of that just conscious conviction uh, of, of, of our sin. Um, there's, not even just that too. I mean, yeah. like she said, the, the spirit allows us to understand the spiritual thing, like in, in the yeah. first Corinthians, uh, like Abby, you know, I mean, you were Torah observant. You were probably more in the old Testament scriptures than either of us have been, but it wasn't clear. Like you didn't get it. No, mm-mm. no, I didn't. I didn't get it because I didn't, I saw it as an act of myself conforming my, myself to the image of Christ instead of mm. a spirit conforming me to the image of Christ. Like my faith in Jesus his spirit, God's spirit inside of me and God sending them both to me and God being the creator of all is what is conforming me. But in that time, I saw it as, oh, I might be frozen. No, you're good. Okay. In that time, I saw it as me conforming myself. Like I needed to do this, like I had a checklist. Am I doing this to conform? Am I doing this to conform? Am I doing this to conform? Without really realizing that like if we were just left to ourselves, we would not be able to conform to the image of Christ. That's right. only God's doing and only the spirit's doing through faith in Christ. The answer, Ernie says, the answer I would give to my question is through the word. Uh, yes, but you have a different epistemological understanding. Uh, you have a different anthropological understanding of man that well, we're even, able to comprehend the word apart from the spirit. Whereas we would and, say you're unable to comprehend the word apart from the spirit. And even at that, I could give the word, but it's just kind of like the parables that Jesus gave. There were right. parables that he gave that were for certain people that understood. And then other people, they didn't have any understanding at all. Right. So, no. Intentionally. That was the whole, they asked him, why did he speak in parables? You know, intentionally to obscure things from some and not from others. So, right. yeah, I mean, that's an, that's an anthropological difference that I, I don't think there's any way to bridge that between our belief system. I mean, we don't believe you can reason your way to God, basically. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no bridge that we can just reason our way across to God. If not for the work of the spirit and the illumination of that, we're not getting there. So that's it really. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys grew up listening to Christian music, but uh, I grew up with the newsboys and there was a song called spirit thing. And (laughs) (laughs) I love that song. It was so good. And I want to just read the lyrics to it uh, because I kind of, I think it kind of informs what we're talking about here as far as like, how does it help us and what is it and stuff. Uh, It says, it's not a family trait. It's nothing that I ate. It didn't come from skating with holy rollers. It's an early warning sign. It keeps my life in line, but it's so hard to define. Never mind. It's just a spirit thing. It's just a holy nudge, like a circuit charge in the brain. It's just a spirit thing. It's here to guard my heart. It's just a little hard to explain. Uh, so it pushes when I quit. It smells a counterfeit. Sometimes it works a bit like a teleprompter. When it's teleprompting you, I pray you'll let it through and I'll help you with the how. But for now, it's just a spirit thing. And so, you know, so that took the long way bent back down again. Some things will never, ever be explained. No, uh, no, they cannot be explained. And, you know, it just goes through like it's spirit thing. It's holy nudge. It's a circuit charge in the brain. Spirit thing to guard my heart. It's just a little hard to explain. And I think that's it. It's, it is just this, like, 
it's 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 the helper it's the conviction it's the it's it's the power of god actual god in us to convict us of sin and to to help us see a counterfeit and and to, you know it, it pushes when i quit you know and it, it intercedes from our prayers and uh yeah it's in in and that is a person of god that is god doing that and you can so, call god with all the attributes of god ernie says so then i cannot understand you and should stop watching so well, <laughs> here's the best way to understand this. Somebody says, when I was talking to Aaron Ra, he understood everything I was saying. Yeah. The right? atheist. There was the, 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 the atheist. There was famous atheist. You celebrity debated. atheist. Yeah. That you debated. He had no problem understanding, comprehending, and reasoning anything I said. But he still rejected it because his reason wasn't illuminating to his soul. Like he, oh. the, he, we had no problem understanding what each other was saying. But he rejected it completely because he didn't have that illumination of the spirit. So uh, it's not that you don't understand what I'm saying. And I'm not saying this to you specifically, but to the person in those shoes who would be the person who does not believe. It's not that they can't understand, but they can't understand their way to salvation. Yeah, They're unable to accept those truths to, to live in that truth without the illumination of the spirit. To them, it's, it's like Paul says that, you know, the Greeks demand wisdom and the Jews demand a sign. But we preach Christ crucified foolishness to the jews and uh, foolishness to the greeks and a stumbling block to the jews like the problem yeah. is not that they don't get it the problem is that they reject it yeah in romans 6 or john 6 it talks about um you're not here or is it 10 john 10 talk, you do not hear because you're not my sheep or you right. not believe because you're not my sheep it's that everybody thinks it's the other way around once you believe you're his sheep right then you're sheep. No, you're his sheep from the beginning of the foundation of the, before the foundation of the world it's just that you're predestined to be his sheep and if you are, his sheep hear his voice. Right. So they could come. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not it's not a matter of human understanding, human fleshly understanding. It's a spiritual understanding. And that's what our body's alive. Our body's alive walking around doing bodily things, you know. And it's that Ephesians 2 um, idea of uh, our spirit is dead. We're, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. And, uh, yeah, we're dead in, our, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, uh, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And this is, and then one of the best phrases in human history, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I, I want to reference while we're dead. Quick. While we're Ernie, dead, Ernie our bodies walking around. Yeah. Uh, Ernie commented here, John 14 through 17 is Jesus speaking to the apostles, but everybody assumed Jesus is talking about everyone and specifically themselves, i.e. the reader. Uh, John 17, I want to get to that real quick. The high priestly prayer, uh, specifically in verse 20, Jesus says, and this is his high priestly prayer before the crucifixion, before the betrayal. Uh, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they are also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, uh, specifically, he's not speaking of just the apostles. The whole point there is not just for these, but those who believe because of the testimony of their word. That's all of us. Yeah, like, was, if we no, believe the gospels, that's all too, of us. Julian. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's right there in the text. All of those who will believe because of the testimony of their word. If you believe, which I know you do, believe that hearing the gospel leads to salvation. If you believe that, then you're one of those that he's speaking of. Mm -hmm. Right. 
and he said so the physical man cannot understand no like when he says his ways are not our ways that doesn't mean his ways are some of our ways but not all of our ways it means his ways are not our ways <laughs> so that means that we have to have him to help us understand his ways because we cannot understand his ways and without part- his help that's why jesus jesus had to sit down with the apostles and open their minds to understand the scripture because even as his apostles walking alongside of him they were still not able to understand it how many I mean, times did we get frustrated with him like oh you faithless generation he it's what he to says to them what he says to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of the law and you don't understand what I'm saying? If you don't understand earthly things, how can I explain to you spiritual things? Like there's this, this clear in scripture divide between the things that you are able to understand in your logic and reason and the things that you can only understand by the illumination of the spirit. Yeah. And in that priestly prayer in verse 24, he says, father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the earth, which is kind of crazy. And in a sense of like one verse, Jesus is saying, father, the people you've given me everything, the foundation that you've given me, he's not even saying everything I've done after, Mm. you know, after he knows what he's about to do, he's still giving all the glory to the father, which is like a huge, I don't know. I think, I think that's amazing in that verse. We're yeah. gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to get Ernie on one day to just hash it all out in, in yeah. spoken word because it's yeah, a lot to he, type in. Yeah, he uh, he 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 does address a lot of uh, misunderstandings of Calvinism, of predestination, mm-hmm. of uh, the sovereign God, um, and just who is God, who is man, and what is the relationship between the two. Right. Biblical anthropology created in the image of God. What does that mean? Does that mean we have complete autonomy and dictate our own destiny? Yeah. That. Yeah. We need, yeah, we need to talk about biblical anthropology, what is man, theology, what is God, and who is God, and what is the relationship between the two? Because there's this uh, monergism versus synergism. Is it all God? Is it partly God, partly us? We've got the capacity to believe in our deadly, dead flesh. We can believe spiritual <laughs> things. It makes no sense. But, yeah, we need to hash that out because he, he does ask a lot of those good questions i think that that need to be that fit kind of right in with what we're talking about of like right. genesis to revelation and you know all this kind of fringe fringe topics and stuff um yeah so kind of talking about that like who's he praying to and like um is that you know the the, the distinction between the persons and stuff in john fourteen twenty eight, uh jesus says you heard that i said to you i go away and i will come to you if you loved me you would receive uh, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. Right. So that, that people take that and run with it and, and create a whole theology of, Oh, it's hierarchy. Oh, it's, you know, uh, Jesus is under God. And, you know, he's, there he is, just said is greater than I. Um, but what James White says here, he points to Philippians two, six says, so we see that the term greater speaks to the position of the father in heaven over against the position of the son on earth. The son had voluntarily, Philippians 2, 6, laid aside his divine prerogatives and humbled himself by entering into human flesh. Um, and then, so we can see that rather than denying the deity of Christ, John 14, 20 implies it, implies it for the position into which the son was returning is a position fit only for deity, not for more, not for mere creatures. Right. And then John 17, 3 to 5 says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Mm-hmm. Right. So John John 
is a masterpiece of of the deity of Christ. It really is. Of everything. The Gospel of John is amazing. You know, in John 1, 1, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So you see this unity, and then the Word became flesh. So there is kind of a condescension of God to humanity. And not just, you know, like it says, not not just humility, but to the humility of position of a slave and then to be cursed and died on dead on a cross um yeah it's just like that's that's the humility greater than anybody can experience because of the height of which he once stood right he just said it's so low lower than any of us could because we start here and then go higher in our sanctification (laughs) but christ went up and when came down to humanity and died on a cross became cursed and there will be greater no greater humility than that and to kind of unpack that idea too, because there's a little bit in there that I don't think it's talked about, just kind of was one of the misunderstandings. Uh, we believe in the eternal word, right? In, mm-hmm. in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The word has not always been the man, Jesus. Yeah. Like at, at a point in time, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the person of Jesus Christ exists at a specific point in time going forward, but the word is the eternal always has been always will be uh the i I think the the greek verbiage in in john where he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us is the idea of the tabernacle he tabernacled among us he pitched his tent among us and the idea that the spirit right the spirit of god lived in the tabernacle amongst the people but the tabernacle was not the eternal spirit of god the eternal (laughs) spirit of god lived in the tabernacle so it's like a different so just to clarify that like jesus jesus christ the man came to be at a specific point in time but the eternal word has always been mm-hmm. so like that when you talk about like coming from here to here it's because he took on flesh and became a man yeah yeah um so i don't know kind of where we are i mean kind of getting on time toward 11 o'clock here uh, yeah so, an hour 30 yeah i did want to talk about the personification of the holy spirit because like i said that is neglected um so I did want to kind of bring that up. Uh, John 16, 13 through 14 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So again, I, I need to check my, uh, New World Translation that Jehovah's Witness use, <laughs> see if they actually personify the Holy Spirit in that way. Uh, and one of the big, one of the biggest ones uh, is in Acts five three and four. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land, while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So he's saying in the first part, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? In the last part, you have not lied to men, but to God. Mm. So to lie to the Holy Which Spirit is, crazy. is to lie you to God. You think of yourself like, I lied to God, I lied to Jesus, but you never think like, I lied to the Spirit. Yeah, and that being you lied to God. So why, why have you lied yeah. to God, the Holy Spirit? You've lied to God. So that's a, that's a huge one as far as direct personification and deification of the holy spirit um he has a lot you know first corinthians 2 uh 10 through 11 for to god has revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things even the depths of god for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him 
Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 10, and 11. And yeah, in, in James White talks about uh, only persons know things. Only person can pray for you. Mm. Only person can, can know something, you know, real, reveal things. Because electricity knows nothing, experiences nothing, yet the spirit knows the thoughts of God, and the greatest task to which the creature man can be called. Um, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, Acts 20, Acts 5. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. You know, Romans 5, through the Holy Spirit, who has given to us? You know, so it's, it's who, he. It's this all constant personification. And in the, in the um, uh, systematic theology, the masculine pronoun he, echinos, is applied to the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, 15, 26, 16, 3 through 14, uh, thir 13 through 14, which one would not expect from the rules of Greek grammar for the word spirit, pneuma, is neuter. So mm -hmm. the, the normal Greek grammar of, of the word spirit is, is kind of neutral, not ma masculine or feminine. But when he uses it in, in these verses, it's the masculine pronoun for he, for he talking about the Holy Spirit. So it is this masculine this personification on something that the uh, kind of a general word for spirit, pneuma, that is neuter, that, that doesn't have a masculine or feminine pronoun. But he's using it at, to reference to the Holy Spirit, which is God. So it's this personification of the Holy Spirit, praying, prompting, doing things that, that electricity can't do. The power force can't do it is personified okay. holy spirit is god as as third part third person of the trinity but yeah it, it really is just the I, the biggest part is like one being three persons and maybe we can kind of land on this because it's really in, in the probably the most important thing of being one being and three persons hmm. i think we have a really hard time understanding the difference between being and person right and that's that's kind of what this all comes down to. Um, the systematic theology says, Wayne Groom says, what is the difference between person and being in this discussion? How can we say that God is one individual being, yet that in this one being there are three persons? Um, and he and James White talks about it in in his book, uh, the difference between being and person. Let's see. Uh, says everything that exists has being. A rock has the being of a rock a tree, the be being of a tree, a dog, the being of a dog, and man is a human being. That which exists has being, but not everything that has being is personal. A rock is not personal. You can insult a rock all day and all night long, and it won't really mind since it is not personal. Same with a tree. My dog couldn't care less what I say to her too. She's only concerned about how I say it, the tone of my voice. I might say in a limited sense that she has a personality, but I don't mean that in the technical or specific sense I am using when discussing the Trinity. A dog is not a person in the sense that for my dog does not view herself as one dog over against all other dogs, nor does she understand the idea of dog kind, nor does she work for the betterment of dog kind. So this is that, that's the idea of personhood. We are beings, but we're also persons. Biblically speaking, there are three kinds of beings who are personal, God, man, and angels. Those three beings have persons. Because I believe I exist. I, I believe I exist, yet I am personal. My being is limited and finite. It is limited to one place geographically speaking in one time, temporally speaking. <laughs> Dr. White's a Trekkie. <laughs> Despite all the Star Trek scenarios, <laughs> on the contrary, I am limited to one place and one time. Such is the essence of being a creature. My being is shared by only one person, me. My being, since it is limited, cannot be distributed among two, three, or any more persons. One being, one person. That's what it is to be human. 
right? But what we're saying about God is that he, his being is not limited and finite like a creature's. His being is infinite and unlimited and hence can, in a way, completely beyond our comprehension, be shared fully by three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The divine being is one. The divine persons are three. While the Father is not the Son, nor is the Son's Spirit, which each is fully and completely God by full and complete participation in the divine being. Unless we recognize the difference between the terms being and person, we will never have an accurate or workable understanding of the Trinity. And that's what it all comes down to. And that's what maybe we kind of leave people with is just it, study, look into that difference between being and person. God is one being in three persons. And we have a hard time understanding that because human beings can only be one person. And, but not all beings like rocks and trees can be a person. We have the privilege because we're creating the image of God of having per a personhood. You know, dogs and animals can can affectionately kind of arbitrarily say they have a personality, but not really, not in the way that people do. Not that human beings have a personhood, and and that's a shadow and kind of a reflection of God creating His image that He is in three persons. We are limited and finite. We have one person in our one being. He is one being with three persons, and it's just something that's just. Hard to explain, but I, that's something I would encourage people to really focus in on is the difference between being and person, because I think that's something that's totally glossed over when we're talking about God and the Trinity and how one person, one being, three persons, how does that all work? But well, that's idea, what needs to be understood. The idea of being is kind of built into the language, like verbs describe action or state of being, like anything. Yeah. You know, is, okay, is describes the state of being. So everything be. has a being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, that is, that's a hard bridge to get people past this idea that yes, he's three persons, but he's one being like, I, I don't know that I yeah. guess because we don't understand essence and uh, nature. <laughs> they have the substance right. of God, right. they have substance. the essence of God. They, they have the, they're equal in glory, equal in majesty, but different in, in function and sort of role as far as the persons go. Yeah. But they're all equally God. See the Holy Spirit is to see God, see Jesus is to see right. God you know but yeah and i hope well, we had beneficial <laughs> it was a little all over the place somehow cerebus got in there but yeah <laughs> did you know this tangent about cerebus that uh dave sim challenged jeff smith to a boxing match jeff smith the bone guy yeah he challenged him to a boxing match, match. yeah because they had a disagreement uh because they were printing bone for him for a while they were publishing it yeah and they had some kind of spat about it so he challenged him publicly in like his letters page to a boxing match that at comic-con <laughs> wow which remember, would have been great i remember reading bone in the old disney adventure magazine did you ever see that oh i i remember disney there, adventure i didn't know there it was kind of like small little magazines and yeah in the, yeah they're in the back of the the magazine there was comics it was like kind of two or three pages of comics and uh bone was a comic and i was like what is this this is cool <laughs> like, this is really awesome it's like weird kind of lord of the rings thing to it and monsters and old folk villages and stuff and i was like man this is cool and then later find out that was a full comic that they just reprinted in those magazines we're, we're kicking around the idea i'm trying to convince her to do it of having we're just having a segment called abby learns comics yeah we need we to force have, her yeah. to read stuff and yeah. then just discuss it for those who don't know julian and i worked at a comic book store for several years and so we're, we're like as much as like the like we have theology and like so we're shooting in like comic books and well i think that's why because i i was trying to relate something to somebody from the bible the other day and i i said it like it was a retcon 
<laughs> what does that even mean a retcon okay retcon is retroactive continuity so it's when you explain something that happened in the past by something that you're writing currently so yeah. like for instance if an event happened in the past and they're like that's really out of character for that character in a current issue someone would say well that's because he was mind controlled at the time when that happened yeah. and you didn't know that initially but since it's written it's canon so it changes it, the continuity of the in past. the previous issue in the previous comic there was nothing about him being mind controlled right. But it was like, okay. oh, yeah, that's really weird. He was mind-controlled. It's the yeah. I, it's uh, in John when when John says that Isaiah said these things because he spoke of Jesus, because he saw saw his glory and spoke of him. He's retconning that the the <laughs> God that comes down into the temple <laughs> is Jesus in Isaiah's vision in the temple is how it got into my head. <laughs> yeah, so what you're basically saying to me is I need to learn Christianese and comicese. Yes, both. Yeah. <laughs> both. Okay. Okay. Comic ease is easier. It's it. You just have to be angry about a lot of stories and say that they're out of character and. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That can. Yeah. We should do like just a whole com. We, Julie and I could do a comics podcast. Oh, for just, sure. Yeah. Probably we should, really could. We should have those. Like Joe Rogan does those fight companion. Editions comic of his, of his podcast. <laughs> they have like a whole different numbering and a whole different. Dude, I bought uh, Tom King's cool. new uh, Adam Strange series this week. Adam Strange. Hey guys, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to dip out a little early cuz my 5 month old is okay. really yeah. crying so I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, we need to get to bed that. too. We're all going to dip out. If we start talking yeah. about comics it'll be I 3 know. hours. I'll be here all night. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, I hope this is beneficial. Hope everybody went away with something that they didn't know before. That's always our goal is just like just hey, I didn't know St. Patrick this, whatever. Whatever it is, did something I didn't know before and yeah. Uh hope everybody saw saw beneficial. Please, if you saw there's any value in this, share this. Uh, tell people about the time and place. We're trying to make this really a platform to to draw people in and into conversation and bring people on for debate or conversation, different ideas and stuff. And if there's anything you want us to talk about, let us know too and message us, message us and put in the comments and everything. So, yeah, we really want this to be, grow into a big platform so we can share the gospel through these parts of the Bible that aren't really talked about a whole lot or just aren't really fleshed out in normal in normal church. So right. yeah, find value, share it, um, just help us out, all that. But yeah, appreciate it. Had fun. Also, post uh, post ideas if you have a topic you want us to talk about because we really do not have anything set from week to week. So, oh, there's a baby. Oh, <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> I was oh, talking to Heather this I'm... week, and we were saying your oldest daughter is like identical to you. Yeah. It's really true. Look Everyone like, always exactly. says it. <laughs> I know. Clone. And the and the youngest two were like identical to their dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Really true. Oh. All right. Well, with that, Alrighty. we'll let you guys go. 